thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Hey, good morning. Great to be here. And uh, I appreciate you guys uh, praying that it wouldn't snow while I was here. This is good news. Last time I was here, it was snowing. Uh, although I don't know why, but David invites me to come speak in January every year. How is this? I, I experienced, um, I was just in Omaha, and they were telling me proudly, they were telling me proudly, it's going to be 47 when you're here, Banning. It's going to be 47. I don't even think it was 47. I think it was 38. But they were just so proud. They were acting like it was, was going to be spring. They're like, it's going to be a spring day in Omaha. So always grateful coming from California to the uh, Midwest out here. And so well, it's good to see you guys. What an honor to be here. And I'm just excited to see all that God's doing in this church. I can tell you it's such a privilege to be one of the overseers for this church, but just to be able to come and see in person what David's constantly telling me about. He just, every, we, we talk often and he's just telling me about all that God's doing in this church. It's just profound. And we absolutely love and adore your pastors, some of the best in the nation. I really mean that. I'm not just out here. I'm not going to get paid extra to say this today, but you have some of the best pastors I know in the nation. And, uh, and some of that, some of the most... Some of the most kingdom-minded, biblically-founded, genuine, revival-hearted pastors I know. And so just so, so honored and grateful to be able to run with them and their kids. We just adore their kids. And so it's good to be here today, be able to preach for a little bit to you. Um, I, I want to just take a moment and uh, just say, I, I, I am family. You may not know this, but I am family in this church. I get to come out here at least once a year with you guys. And I'm uh, very intimately just connected because of my relationship with David. And, uh, but just love what God's doing here. And I just want to commend you as well. I just want to commend you. Well done. Well done pressing in. Well done believing God. And can we just stop for a moment and celebrate this fact? You all got a building. Since I was here last, since I, and you didn't, you didn't just get a building. You got a building. Like, like there's like, there's like buildings and then there's buildings and you guys got a building. It's astounding. I, I like David, David gave me a whole FaceTime tour, sending me pictures, the whole process. I'm like, see, that's incredible. So I just, well done. All you guys that jumped in, gave all this stuff, just well done in doing that. And I really do believe, I, I just want to share this and they got a countdown clock that I probably won't pay attention to, but they, um, it's adorable that they have it up though. Um, I, I, uh, uh. The Niners already played, so we can get, we can take our time today. The Niners, the Niners just didn't play; they they uh, they whooped them. But anyways, um, I want to just take a moment because I, I really do believe um, buildings are not uh, the uh, buildings are not the silver bullet for churches. At the end of the day, you either have the presence of God, you've got vision, you've got passion, you've got hunger, or you don't. Buildings don't do any of that type of stuff. But I do believe that buildings are significant, and I, I believe for you guys in particular, uh, because God has an apostolic call in this house. 
you may not fully know what I mean by that, but there's an apostolic call on this house that, that you're not just called to reach Kansas City. You are called to reach the nation. You are called to equip and strengthen the church around the world. And what God wants to do in this house is going to be a testimony that goes around the world. And you're called to gather people, train them, equip them, send them, light them on fire in prayer. And so I really do believe that there's something significant about the season of how this is working and what God is doing and uh, I actually saw a few things I, I just want to say. One is this, is I just want to declare today over you, and I mean this, that this is an apostolic house. And what God's about to do, just even in the significance of this building, is going to really be profound in the earth. Uh, but I saw over the house just this phrase. I actually saw it written over the, over the doorway. It just said, House of Restoration. And, and I want you to hear me on this. You can write this down today if you want. This year is going to be a year of restoration, in particular for families. I, I believe that God just said that this house is going to be a house of restoration and that families are going to be restored. I saw marriages that were on the rocks being healed. I saw marriages that were on their last leg, marriages that didn't believe they were going to make it, marriages that had been plagued by addiction, uh, marriages that had been plagued by just a, a, a disconnect and, and painful things. I saw the Lord restoring marriages, and I saw, the, I saw the Lord restoring prodigals back home. I saw the Lord bringing children home that were away from the Lord, bringing them back into the home. And I really believe that this year, and I want you to, I, you can believe with us for this, but I'm telling you, you're going to find this, and I believe the Lord's going to give some signs that are going to mark this, but this house is going to be known as a house of restoration. It's going to be a known of house of restoration, and God's going to do this this year. And I believe, and I believe as you begin to move towards this building, again, I, don't, I think a building is simply a tool. It's a tool to accomplish the mandate and mission God has put on a community of believers but I believe as you move towards this, I believe that God's going to reveal some things. But one of the things I want to encourage you on, I want to commend you and just say, well done uh, for the generosity that's come from this house. Well done for the commitment to serve and to jump in. But I believe where God is going to take you is really going to require all hands on deck. All hands on deck, not just in serving, but in faith as well. I'll talk a little bit about some of this today. But the picture I had, I, I've been... Uh, um, I, I've been married for 25 years. I celebrated 25 years on December 27th. Thank you. Thank you. To the same woman, 25 years. And, uh, and uh, a funny story, my 25th anniversary was on December 27th, and we were at a basketball tournament in L.A. with my son. So my 25th anniversary was at a basketball game, which we wouldn't want any other way. But then I got sick on my 25th anniversary and was in my hotel room just puking my guts out. And uh, my wife was like, I'm probably going to get another hotel room. And we didn't even stay in the same hotel room on my 25th anniversary. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but we have three kids, and a uh, 23-year-old, 20-year-old, and a 17-year-old, and uh, um, I don't know how to fully explain this, but for my girls, my, my first two are girls and then a boy. For my girls, when we, oh, we were 21, uh, 21 when my wife had our first one, and, and, and then 24 when she had the second one, and for the first two, um, we invited the intercessor ladies to come in and be a part of it. We're like, we knew these intercessor ladies. We're like, will you come into the, to the room when she's giving birth and just be in there interceding, you know? And uh, they're like, sure. So we just literally just 
loaded the room up with some intercessor ladies, <laughs> and we were in there. And so because of, the, because of that, and I don't know how else to describe this, but I wasn't down near the action for the t- first two children giving birth. I, I wasn't down near the action. We're all adults, right? I wasn't down near the action. I was, I was just up by, you know, her head and just telling her how amazing she was and how horrible of a man I was. Whatever. I don't know what she needed to hear in the moment, but I was just letting her know, you know, like... But on my, our third one, we decided uh, that it was just going to be me and her, you know, the nurse and the doctor, but just me and her. And uh, so I experienced something in the, in the birth of my third child that I hadn't in the first two, because on the third one, I was down near the action. I actually saw the birth happen. And, uh, and there's a moment in childbirth that I will never forget. Like it was this, it was this like really actually kind of marking moment. There's a, there's a moment in childbirth where the head of the baby crowns for the first time. And you can see your child, just the top of the head, but you can see your child with your physical eyes for the first time. I mean, you saw your child in a sonogram, but it literally looks like a little alien baby. So you're like, Lord, please let me love this alien baby that's about to come. Like I'm, you know, but, 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 but for the first time, you're physically laying eyes on this child that, that everything in your life in the past season has been pointing towards this moment. Everything that you, you've been gearing up for, preparing for, praying for, falling in love with this child, everything's been coming to this moment. And it's that moment where you can see with your own physical eyes this child. I remember it. It was, it was marking for me. Of life. I thought, that's my boy. I can see the head of my boy. In that moment, whatever priorities you had becomes secondary to the main priority. It's, it's funny because, I, man, I, I don't want, um, the, the, the birth of my third child happened pretty quick. And uh, so it was literally an August, a Wednesday night in August. She was pregnant. She was maybe, I don't know, we were a week away from the, the due date or whatever. And, uh, and she wasn't really having real contractions or anything. And I, we, I just said, hey, we were going to go on a date night. And um, my wife just loves to sit and talk. And so I, I said, hey, let's go to the golf. Let's go to the driving range. You can sit and chat, and I'll just hit some golf balls. And that was going to be our date night. And she's like, sounds great. So we're headed there. And uh, she said, hey, let's swing by the hospital real quick. Just, I just want to check me out. Just tell me. Out. She likes information. So I just want to tell how far along I am. And, and we'll go by the hospital because you can go by the hospital. They check you out. I said, we'll swing by the hospital, get checked out, and then we'll run to, and we'll go to the driving range. She said, yeah, let's do that. So, we, so she, this is how, this how casual it was. We drive up to the hospital. She gets out. We go inside. And uh, the, nurse comes, the nurse comes in and checks it. And, you know, we're headed to the driving range. And uh, uh, the nurse said, oh, sweetie, you're not going anywhere. You're dilated to a seven and 100% defaced. And, uh, and, and from the moment she walked in to when the baby was born was one hour. We, we walked in, baby comes out, son comes out an hour later, right? So, so if you can imagine this, though, that when I saw the head of my baby for the first time, I had other priorities lined up that night. Right? Are you, I had other things that I was headed towards. I was going to be going to the driving range. We were going to be going to, uh, you know, go on our date night. So when, when the head of that baby appeared, I didn't turn to my wife and say, 
hey, do you mind if I still run to the driving range, get a couple, just get a, get a couple swings in? Do you mind that? I didn't tell her like, hey, listen, I'm gonna run down to the cafeteria, get a bite to eat. You want some chips or something? Like, like when the head of the baby shows, it sets your priority for you. Whatever other priorities you had, they're secondary right now. All that matters is this one thing. We're here to push. Well, not we, but we're here to, we're here to push. Right, so whatever priorities I may have had, they, they go away because this child has now determined the priority that's in my life. And it's not to go take a break. It's not to take it easy. It's not to check out. It's not to sit on the couch. It's to push. This is what I feel for this church right now. What I feel for this church right now is you're in a season where you're beginning to see the head of what you've been praying for, the head of what you've been pushing in for. And right now, it requires this one thing, push. It requires, it's not a time to take a break. It's not a time to go to the driving range, metaphorically and spiritually. It, it's time to lean in on this thing and say, God, this is what we've been praying for. This is what we're believing for. And I can see it with my own physical eyes. God's got a call on this house. God's got a call in this house. And I just encourage you right now, if this is your home church, if this is your family, lean in, push, serve, give, pray, do whatever you've got to do on this thing. But we're just leaning into this moment because God's going to do something significant. And I don't believe the building is the key to it, but I do believe that the building is a prophetic sign and a prophetic picture of what God's about to do. Are you with me on this? All right, three of you. No, no, I'm going to tell you right now. No, no, that's a pity clap now. I'm telling you right now, there were more at the 9 o'clock that were with me on that one. I expect more out of you 11 o'clock, 10.45, 11 o'clock. What time did we start? I expect more out of this service, all right? No, listen, no, it's too late now. It's too late. Don't give me that. You don't want to hear my theory. I believe that, I believe that the earlier services are more spiritual and they get less spiritual as they go throughout the day. My wife disagrees with me on that one, but uh, I think I can biblically prove that Jesus was a morning person, and so uh, do you have your Bibles? Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I want to speak semi-briefly to you if we can. Acts chapter 8. We'll go there in just a minute. I don't, you don't have to be prophetic, and I don't have to be a prophet to say this statement. We are coming out of and are still currently in a season of disruption. I would say not only national and global disruption, but also for many people, personal disruption. There has been disruption on a global scale that, that you know, we haven't probably since World War II, but even we haven't fully seen at the scale that we saw the disruption that happened. The disruption socially, economically, relationally, for so many people, they have been transplanted. Their finances have been affected. Relationships have been affected. There's just been a disruption that's happened. And when disruption happens in your life, in a nation, in your own life, disruption will lead you to one of two places. Disruption will either lead you to a place of discouragement, despair, and hopelessness. Or it will lead you to a place of greater resolve and deeper faith. This is, and I need you to understand this, that disruption when it comes, maybe it comes on the macro level nationally, maybe it comes on the micro level in a relationship in your life or your job or whatever it may be. When disruption comes, it's gonna lead you to one of two places. 
it will lead you to a place of despair, discouragement, or hopelessness, or it will lead you to a place of greater resolve and deeper faith. And the difference between those two things is connected to this, clarity. Do you have clarity for what God is doing? Do you have clarity for the season that you are in and what God is doing in that moment? Acts chapter 8 is this really profound part of the story of the early church in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, we know the story. In the upper room, the disciples are gathered. The Holy Spirit descends. The Holy Spirit comes with flames of fire, as tongues, and, and, and births the church. The church is birthed in Acts chapter 2. And for the next five years, from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 7, although there were some bumps along the way, for the most part, for five years, it was an exhilarating time to be a part of the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was experiencing profound growth. Thousands were coming to Christ. Revelation and teaching was incredible. Signs and wonders, miracles, deep fellowship was happening house to house as they were praying together, doing meals together, communing together. It's, just, it's this incredible time to be alive at the birth of the church in Jerusalem. Five years. And then in Acts chapter 7, disruption comes. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen becomes the first martyr and persecution begins to set in. And the church in Jerusalem, which had experienced five years of just real amazing stuff, all of a sudden experienced a disruption. And this is Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Listen to this. I want you to read this. We're going to read just eight verses. But Acts chapter 8, it says this. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Talking about Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. You need to remember that, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I believe what God wants to do in the midst of disruption is give his people clarity. I believe that if we're going to get to a place of uh, deeper faith, greater resolve, that it is going to require prophetic clarity from the Lord. One of the things that I just think every believer should be consistently asking God and every believer should have clarity on is these two questions. What season am I in and what is God doing? That you should be able to answer these questions. What season am I in and what is God doing? See, if you don't know what season you're in, you don't know how to interact properly with what God is doing. If you don't know what God is doing, you don't know how to partner with what he's trying to accomplish. 
It's amazing to me how many Christians I run into that are just clueless to what season they're in, and they're clueless to what God's doing. They don't understand the season they're in. They don't understand the storyline of God that's unfolding. And, and many of them are confused, and they're discouraged, and they're disheartened. It's a little bit, the analogy I would use is, I remember the, um, the first time I went to Brazil, uh, we were going out to Brazil to do these gatherings with Jesus Culture, and, and uh, you know, I'm American, so I kind of think that whatever season we're in, every other nation is in, like just, you know, actually like weather-wise. And so I didn't even check the weather app to see what the weather was in Brazil. I just assumed it's June in California, it's warm here, it's probably warm there. And so, good to see you. And so, and so we, we head out, and uh, I don't check the weather app at all, and uh, we get down, I plan for summer, and I get down there, and it's not summertime, it was raining and cold. Completely packed wrong. I mean, our, our, our band was on stage with like gloves on and covered their, their equipment for the rain and all that type of stuff. And I remember coming down there completely unprepared because I had no idea the season. And I, and I run into believers who are like freezing and they're cold and they're miserable and they're like, why am I so cold? Why am I so freezing? Metaphorically. And, and I'm like, well, because you're wearing a tank top and shorts and sandals in the middle of winter. Why are you so confused about this? Others that are sweating and they're hot. I'm like, well, yeah, you're wearing a snow jacket and pants and boots and a beanie and gloves in the middle of summer. If I don't know what season this is, I don't know how to interact properly. If I don't know what God's doing, how do I engage it? What's incredible to me is there's a, there's a storyline of God unfolding in the earth. And if you don't understand the storyline of God, you will be confused and you will be discouraged. God is doing things. Uh, I, first time I went, uh, second time I went to Australia, I, I brought Derek Johnson, uh, our worship pastor of the church, and we flew over. We landed like at four o'clock in the afternoon. And you know, if you ever travel internationally, like you gotta stay up till nine o'clock. Like that's the goal. No matter how much you wanna go to bed when you get there, you gotta stay up till nine o'clock. So we land at four, I'm jet lagged, I'm tired. Long trip out there. We get to the hotel. We're sitting in the hotel room, it's maybe five o'clock. I've gotta stay up for four hours. And we're like, we can do this. Stay up for four hours. Let's make it. So we're in the hotel room a little bit bored. And so I said, let's turn on the TV. Let's see what's on TV. So we turn the television on and there's a Harry Potter movie on. Now, I'd never seen Harry Potter. I, you know, not even out of conviction, just never watched any Harry Potter movies. But I guess there's seven of them or something like that. And I, I was watching the, like the seventh movie. And then it was like, we, it was partly way in. I didn't even watch it. It was just partly into this movie. I'm like, hey, Harry Potter. I've never seen Harry Potter. Let's watch it. And I just remember being jet lagged and sitting there so confused, <laughs> utterly lost at what was going on, had no context or no clue whatsoever what the storyline was. I jumped in at the end and was clueless because I had no idea the rest of the storyline. I'm just like, what is going on right now? Why does that guy have no nose? And like, I, what's happening? <laughs> what's going on? And I remember just tired, jet lagged, and just utterly confused. And I thought, what a picture of some believers. <laughs> They're looking around at the earth and just completely confused because they don't understand the storyline of God. Acts chapter 8 actually is a pretty depressing passage if you just look at it by itself. If you look at Acts 8.1, this church had experienced such amazing things, all of a sudden comes under persecution, all of a sudden they're scattered, this disruption comes in. And it wasn't just persecution that came, how they did church got disrupted. 
people that they had built deep relationships with, people that they were in fellowship with, all of a sudden were being scattered. I spent an entire year in 2021 saying goodbye to families that we love dearly that were moving out of California. You probably didn't experience that in the uh, heartland of America. But there's a place called California. It's Babylon. <laughs> and, and they were just, it was just like, people were just leaving. This disruption comes in. Persecution, how church was done. But Acts chapter 8, it looks like the Antichrist spirit is winning. It looks like evil is, 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 is prevailing. But Acts chapter 8, 1 doesn't make sense. If you don't understand the storyline of God that's been unfolding in Jerusalem, and if you don't understand that Acts chapter 8-1 doesn't stand by itself, Acts chapter 8-1 is connected to Acts 1-8. Acts chapter 8-1 doesn't make sense unless you understand it's connected to Acts chapter 1-8. Can I read to you Acts chapter 1-8? Acts chapter 1-8 says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God's just about to start the second act of evangelism in the new church. That when you look at Acts chapter 8, 1, and you realize a disruption has come, but there's a storyline of God that has been unfolding and Acts 8.1 doesn't sit by itself. It's connected Acts 8.1.8. It means this, that disruption may have hit Jerusalem, but it's going to result in revival in Samaria. Disruption may have come to Jerusalem, but it's about to result in revival in Samaria. We have to understand the storyline of God that's unfolding. See, clarity is important. Because clarity around the storyline of God is what births faith. Can I tell you this right now? Where God is taking this church is going to require greater faith than you've ever operated in. Where God is taking you as an individual and his families is going to require greater faith. But faith is connected to understanding the nature and character of God. But faith is connected to understanding the storyline of God. Do you know that there's two narratives happening in the earth? There's two narratives happening in your finances. There's two narratives happening in your, in your marriage. There's two narratives happening in the earth, which means this. There is a plan the enemy has for America, and there is a plan God has for America. There's a plan the enemy has for your marriage. There's a plan God has for your marriage. Let me show you this in Psalm chapter 33. Psalm chapter 33 says this, verse 10. This, these two verses bring me so much life right now. These two verses, in the midst of all that's going on, I just visit often. Psalm 33, verse 10 says this. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. So listen to me on this. There is a plan that's called the council of the nation, nations and the plans of the people. Is everybody with me on this? There is a plan in the earth called the council of the nations and the plans of the people. And then verse 11 says this, the council of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Then there is the council of the Lord 
and the plans of his heart. Two narratives. But here's what's important to understand. The Bible makes it very clear that the council of the nations and the plans of the people will come to nothing and have no effect. That it is the plan of God, that it is the counsel of the Lord that will stand forever and that will last the generations. This is important to understand because I have a choice of what narrative I pay attention to. See, my concern is this, is that the church isn't operating in greater faith that it's going to be required to operate in because greater faith comes from understanding the plans and counsel of God, the narrative of God that's unfolding in the earth. And for many of us, we have become, we have become experts at understanding the counsel of the nations and the plans of the people. We spend most of our time devouring, feeding on, studying and understanding what the council of the nations are trying to do, what the plans of the people are trying to accomplish. Oh, you're all quiet on me, but I'm right. <laughs> Listen to me. We, we devour news and we devour podcasts and we become students and we go down rabbit holes. And we, no wonder we're so discouraged. No wonder we feel hopeless. Do you know that faith, faith is not ignoring the mountain that's in front of you. I think sometimes, maybe in charismatic circles, Pentecostal circles, we would, sometimes we think that there's a cancer or that there's a mountain of debt in front of you. We'll just use debt. Some of you are in debt. There's a mountain of debt in front of you. And we just act like uh, faith is, we think is this. There's no debt, there's no debt, there's no debt, there's no debt, there's no debt. And people are going like, I'm pretty sure there is debt. Like I, I'm pretty sure, I'm looking at that mountain, right? I saw your credit card statement. I'm pretty sure that that's there. Faith, uh, 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 the, the evil that's in the nation, what's happening in America, uh, the sin that's abounding, the cancer, the debt, the broken relationships, the marriage that's on the rocks. It's not that we act like that doesn't exist. Faith is not ignoring that reality. It's recognizing that there's a greater reality. This is very important to understand. Faith is not saying that there is no council of nations. Faith is not saying that there is no plans of the people. Faith is saying this. Oh, but there's a greater reality. And the greater reality is this. There's the counsel of the Lord and the plans of his heart. See, and, and, I, and I choose to connect myself to that reality. I choose to feast on that reality. I choose to focus on that reality. I choose to attach my life to that reality. That's faith. See, this is why, this, this is why you have to understand. When Jesus went and conquered death, when he defeated the grave, he was given a name higher than every other name. There is no name higher than the name of Jesus. He is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. So when I face something, I have to recognize that cancer is real, but there is a greater name than that cancer. The name of Jesus is greater than the name of cancer. The name of Jesus is higher than the name of divorce. 
And I may be looking at that thing right now, and that may be there, but there is a greater reality. The problem is, is that we spend so much time focusing on the lesser reality. We think we have to become experts at the Council of the Nations, so we listen to every podcast out there that's talking about the plans of the people. You know one of the best things you can do during this fast is not just separate from food, but separate from the sources that are trying to inform you more about the plans of the people and the council of the nations. And you need to go get with God and say, God, I need to know your plan for my family. I need to know your counsel for my kids. I need to know your plan for my city and my nation. I need to know your counsel for my future. And I'm going to go connect my heart to that more than anything else. Sometimes people think that somehow we're naive or you've got to be caught up and you've got to know what's going on in the world. I'm like, no, I don't. I've got to know what the plan of God is. That's what I've got to know. I've got to know what God's unfolding. Because when I understand that, hope becomes alive, faith is birthed in my life, and, 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 and this is where greater resolve, deeper faith comes from. I think that, uh, I mean, this is, this is just the reality. There, there's, it's so funny because there's something about when you really understand the storyline of God, it's actually hard to get hopeless. There's a book called Cure of All Ills. Cure of All Ills was written in the 90s by this intercessor lady who headed up this, this prayer organization. She did a study, it's a fascinating book. She did a study and she tracked how outpourings, revivals, awakenings, first great awakening, second great awakening, turn of the century, that she, she tracked how each of those were actually connected to a low point in society. So she showed how society uh, was, was, uh, um, was, at its, was at a low point morally, was at a low point economically, was at a low point socially. Was at a low point sexually, like, like at these times of just low points in society, when it looked bleak, when it looked lost, when it looked like Acts 8-1, that somehow the enemy was winning and the Antichrist spirit was dominating. It was in those moments that God sent the cure of all ills, which was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and an awakening and a revival. And throughout, throughout biblical history, throughout world history and church history, this is what we see again and again. So you know what begins to happen? When you understand how God works, when you understand the storyline of God unfolding, all of a sudden, you live in California. And it looks bleak sometimes. You're just like, God, what is happening? And then something, something awakens in your spirit. You say, this is when God shows up. I know the storyline of God, that when disruption comes, revival is about to hit. When society seems to be at its lowest, when society seems to be at its most lost, this is when God does the, this is when God pours out his spirit. This is when God answers with the cure of all ills, which is an awakening of the spirit and presence of God. And, and there's something all of a sudden begins to rise within you that says, I know how God works. I know the storyline of God. Church, can I just tell you this? This is why intimacy will be the key in this season. Probably every season, but intimacy will be the key. 
the, the Bible says in John 15 that, that when, when I abide in him, when I draw close in intimacy with Jesus, he begins to speak to me. His words begin to abide in me. So I just draw close to him and say, Jesus, I need you to speak to me. I need to know the plans of your heart. I need to know your counsel. I need to know the storyline that's unfolding. I look around right now in the church of Jerusalem. It's in peril, the church in Jerusalem. It looks like the Antichrist spirit is winning. It looks like evil is dominating. God, people are getting killed and they're getting disrupted and they're getting scattered. And God comes and says, I need you to understand the storyline. Revival's about to come to Samaria. Joy is going to break out in that city. Signs and wonders and miracles and salvations are about to happen. And all of a sudden, I draw close to him and he begins to reveal the storyline to me. That's why the Bible says those that know, Daniel, those that know God will be strong and do great exploits. See, and as I draw close to him, two things happen. One is he begins to reveal the storyline, but two is he begins to reveal his nature and character. I told you that, that faith comes from understanding the greater reality, but faith also comes from understanding who God is and then trusting him. It's, 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 a. they have a, 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 when I was, um, when I was in middle school, well, let me say this real quick. I, it's amazing to me how when you're not connected to the nature and character of God, or when you're not connected to the storyline, you, you very easily forget who you're showing up with. And what I mean by that is Jesus makes a statement to the disciples. They were facing it. They said, well, that's impossible. And Jesus says, yes, with man, it's impossible. But then he adds this on. But with God, all things are possible. What happens when I have disconnected from intimacy with God? I forget that he's with me. I begin to approach situations as if God's not with me. Do you know that any area of your life that has discouragement or hopelessness connected to it? So, so hear me on this. Not any area. Not, not, not like any area where you feel discouraged or hopeless, it's connected to a lie. Any area that you feel discouraged or hopeless, there is a lie that you are believing that's connected to that. And I would say this, almost always the lie is this, God is not with me or God is not for me. Almost always it's God is not with me or God is not for me. Uh, it's funny, I, I remember one time I was, I was stressed about my finances. I was doing our bills or something. I just felt so overwhelmed and we were trying to figure it out and we had debt and I was stressed by it. And, and the Lord just, just stopped me and said, Banny, don't you ever approach your finances as if I'm not with you. And then he told me this, don't you ever approach anything as if I'm not with you. And I, and I realized I was coming to my finances as if God wasn't with me or for me. And this is what happens. You go to your marriage. Your marriage is in trouble. And you're, you're looking at your marriage and you're like, it's impossible. And I would say, it is impossible. You're right, actually. It is impossible. It's impossible on your own strength. It's impossible with man. But here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not with man. You're with God.
Like this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you're not coming in your own strength. That is impossible with man. You're not with man though. You're with God. People look at me and go, we're believing God for revival in California. Like it's impossible. It's beyond hope. It's beyond repair. And I just say, what we are, what we are believing for is impossible. It's impossible if I think I'm coming to California with man. It's impossible if I think it's the strength of man that's going to accomplish this. But here's the deal. I'm not showing up to California with man. I'm showing up to California with God. And all things are possible with him. There's a, uh, when I was in middle school, one of the ways that my dad and I connected was WWE. It was called WWF at the time, but WWE. And oh man, this was like father-son bonding for us. We'd watch it on Saturday or night or Monday night. And, uh, and I remember we went to a couple of the live events at Arco Arena in Sacramento. We drove down from Reading, two and a half hours. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is the era of Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, and Macho Man Randy Savage and Ted, Million Dollar Ted DiBiase, the whole thing, you know. And, uh, and so, but Ultimate Warrior is my favorite, but hands down my favorite. And if you ever watch WWE, it's, it's, it's in essence a soap opera for men. I, it's just, a, it's a soap opera for men. It's fascinating. It's this really sappy, stupid storyline that they just keep replaying over and over again. And if you've ever seen it, it's the same storyline every time. So if I come to an event for a, you know, WrestleMania and my guy, you know, uh, the ultimate warrior is fighting somebody. If I show up to that event and I bring somebody who doesn't watch WWE, they don't understand the storyline. They haven't really been involved with it. And I just say, hey, my favorite guy is going to be wrestling tonight. Come with me. And they come and they're sitting in the thing. We have very different experiences. I understand the storyline. He's unaware of it. Because the storyline is the same for every single... They've, they've been doing this for... This is the same every time. They start the build up by... It's going to be your favorite guy who's the hero against the villain. And, uh, and they're building it up. And they're having kind of backroom conversations and, and all this. Stuff. It's this massive buildup coming to this pay-per-view event. And then it gets to the actual match. And the match begins every time. This is the same. This is if you listen, if you watch W, this is it. I'm just I'm going to just tell you in advance. This is what it is. The match begins and they go back and forth for a little bit. But all of a sudden, the guy that you hate starts winning. He starts beating up your guy, the ultimate warrior for me. He starts beating him up. And I mean, it looks bad. It doesn't look good at all. And now the guy I brought, he's getting stressed. He's like, this isn't good. This is not good at all. Your guys, this is not good at all. We are losing right now. This looks bad. And I'm like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be good. How can you say it'll be fine? Do you see what's happening? I'm like, oh, trust me on this. It's going to be okay. I've seen this before. And there he's like, I don't know, man, I don't know. And then sure enough, it gets to a point where our guy just gets knocked out like he's just lifeless on the, on the mat. And now this guy with me, he's super stressed. He's like, this is it, man. Our guy's dead. Our guy's dead. This is over. You're, this, this is bad. And I, I still, I'm, not, I'm like, no, 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 no. Just watch. Just get ready. You, you, I, I, you don't know the storyline that's about to happen. And he's stressed out of his mind. And then this is what we know. They knock him out. He looks lifeless. But the villain doesn't pin him at first. 
you know, it's theater. So he's just out gloating in front of all of the fans and they're booing him and they're jeering him and he's celebrating. And all of a sudden, our guy who looks lifeless just starts twitching. Every time. And now there's this buildup that just begins to happen in the arena. Like, oh, yeah. And my, the guy next to me, he's still stressed. He's like, dude, this is not going to work out, man. I'm telling you. I'm like, no, no, watch this. Oh, wait, just, just wait a minute. Just, just check this out. And all of a sudden, sure enough, our guy starts switching. The other guy, the villain, he doesn't see him because he's out, you know, gloating on the turn. And, and all of a sudden, our guy gets up to a knee. It's just the whole arena. Now it's just, it is happening. This is going down. And he stands up. Then finally the villain turns around and sees him in big eyes. I'm like, watch this. Match is about to be over. And every time our guy comes over, knocks him out, pins him, wins the match, everybody goes ballistic. This is a storyline. But if you are unaware of the storyline, if you don't know how this works, you're stressed. You feel hopeless. You were discouraged. You were deflated. Every other, you were deflated. You were in despair. You were discouraged. Every other D word. Listen. Unless you know the storyline. Unless you know that Acts 8-1 is connected to Acts 1-8. Unless the Lord's given you, unless he's spoken to you about what he wants to do. Unless you understand the nature and character of God. See, those that know God, those that know God, See, those that know God might be standing in a heap of ashes. Those that know God might be looking around and everything's been burned to the ground, but they know the storyline of God because they've read their Bible and their Bible says this, that although they may be standing in ashes, beauty is about to come. Those that know God and have read their Bible will understand this. We may be weeping throughout the night, but that sun is going to come up. And when that sun comes up, it's going to bring joy along with it. That although we may be weeping through the night, joy will be coming in the morning. Those that know God understand that when they look around and see a world full of sin, when they look around and sin is abounding, those that know God understand the storyline that that just means grace is about to show up in force. That grace is about to come because the storyline of God is this, that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. This is what we know. We have got to stop putting our faith in the plans of people and counsel of nation. We have got to stop giving credit to things that are not as big as God. You have the worship team come, up, come out, all of them, by the way, not just the uh, piano, not just the keys. But I, I have, I've raised teenagers. I have a teenager. I have young adults in my home. We live in California. It can become overwhelming at times. Understanding that the spirit of this age is trying to get a hold of my kids. It can be overwhelming at times. The spirit of the age coming at them through technology and through all of this type of stuff. But I refuse to believe. Listen to me right now. I get an intercession 
And I go build a wall and I stand on that wall and I stand between the spirit of the age and my kids and I refuse to live like, I refuse to pray like, the spirit of this age is stronger than the spirit of God. There may be a spirit of this age that's coming after my kids, but there is a greater reality. There is a higher name. And I refuse to act and live and pray as if the spirit of this age is stronger than the spirit of God. And I stand in intercession in between that thing with my kids. And I say the spirit of God is stronger than the spirit of this age. And the spirit of God gets my kids. And the spirit of God will mark my family. And the spirit of God will cover and come. And we're not going to live as if the plans of the people and the council of the nations, which the Bible says will come to nothing and will be of no effect. I refuse to live as if somehow that is more powerful than the counsel of the Lord and the plans that are on his heart. That's what's going to last. That's what will go through the generations. And church, we need people who are going to operate in faith. We need people who are going to be full of hope. And we need people that understand the storyline of God that's unfolding. I want you to hear me on this. Disruption that has happened, disruption that is coming, you have to have prophetic clarity in the midst of it. That disruption, if you will allow God to give you clarity, will lead you to a place of greater resolve and deeper faith. It will lead you to a place where you believe God more than you've ever believed God. It will lead you to a place of hope in ways that you've never hoped. It will lead you to a place of faith where you stand firm and resolute that I know my God and I know the storyline. And I'm more connected to that. I want you to stand with Some of you in this room, you just need to take a moment. I want us, we're going to get before the God, God just for a second with a chorus. But some of you in this room, you just need to take a moment and say, I think I've been more connected to the storyline of the enemy unfolding in the earth than I have been to the storyline of God. Both from a macro standpoint and a micro standpoint in my personal life. Some of you in this room today, you just need to say, I am going to commit to leaning in and saying, God, reveal your storyline to me. In my own life, in my city, in my marriage, with my kids, in my future, in my health. Those that know God understand this. His plans and purposes are good to prosper you. He wants to cover you. He has named himself your provider and protector. God has named himself as your provider and your protector. And he will cover you. God, I just ask this morning, Lord, that you would come and shift things in our heart where we have been more focused on the mountain than the greater reality. In whatever situation that might be, and Jesus, we choose to know you and the greater reality. We choose to declare over our nation, there is no name higher than the name of Jesus. We choose to declare over our family and our children, there is no name higher than the name of Jesus. Your plans and purposes, your counsel is what will remain. Your counsel is what will stand. And God, I'm asking that you would give us clarity in the midst of disruption. Come on, just for a moment, I want you just to get with the Lord. I want you to lift up your voice, even as we sing this this morning. 
to say, God, would you plant this seed in my heart?